Hey there, are you sick and tired of feeling sick and tired? Join Adel Kozilski and Fagy Stern as they explore ways to reverse chronic illness and achieve vibrant health. Your health is your only wealth and together we can be better. Hashtag Healthy You, Wealthy You. Good morning to all our listeners and a beautiful good morning to Fagy. Good morning, Adel. Good morning, listeners, and good morning to us, to our guests. Indeed. Today we are going to be speaking about the concept of trauma. You know, whenever we look at health, we always like just think about the food that we eat, which of course is very, very important. But to be fully healthy, you have to be healthy both physically, emotionally, mentally, spiritually. And so today we are going to tackle the concept of trauma. What does trauma mean? What are we understanding about trauma now that we never understood before? And how does it impact our physical and emotional health and addictions? And as always, we have two special ladies online with us today. Esther Hecht, she's a social emotional learning coach for parents and educators. And Tovi Steiner, who is a counseling psychologist at Psych Central and a mom of three boys. We'd love for you to join into the conversation. Our SMS number is 34519. Our telegram is 0618951019. And uh, ask any of the questions that you want to ask or if you'd like to pass a comment. Just a reminder before we get into the nitty-gritty of trauma is that Fagi and I run a WhatsApp group. We give a daily dose of encouragement into what you can just how you can change your life just one one little step at a time, one little idea at a time. And it's really our motivation just to help people out there. We are not doctors. We are not any – we're not professionals. We're just two ordinary moms and, and, and daughters and wives and uh, just trying to bring healthy information to us in this very, very stressful time. If you'd like to join the WhatsApp group, you can send an email to info at chayfm.com. Give us your name, give us your cell number, and of course, please remember that you have to have WhatsApp running, and we will gladly join you on. So today we're talking about trauma, and it's my pleasure to say good morning. Tova, good morning to Esther. How are you guys doing? Good morning. Good morning. Thanks for having us. Great. We have just a couple of minutes, probably about three minutes before we have to go to a break. So Esther, I'm going to ask you to uh, you know, start the conversation and maybe give us a definition of what is trauma and what does it include. All right. It's a good thing you're giving me a three-minute uh, time limit because I can, <laughs> can go on for a while. So typically when we hear the word trauma, we think you know, war, abuse, sudden death in the family, something big. Um, when we think of a child who has been through trauma, they must have been molested. Maybe their parents got divorced, living through a pandemic, right? something major to leave them traumatized for life. And yes, these things are trauma, but they're not the only things we consider trauma. Trauma is not only the big traumatic things or events happening to us or that happened to us, but what we are finding out now is that what is also considered trauma is not something that happened to you, but something that didn't happen to you when you needed it to happen to you. So someone asked me this weekend, we've been discussing a lot this concept of trauma, and they said, well, what's the opposite of trauma? And I said safety and connection. And this is the most important in the first few years of life. In the first five years of our lives, of our children's lives, we have a survival need 
for safety and connection from our primary caregivers. There is nothing more impactful on the brain development of the child. So let's see that, let's say this is what the child needs and they now don't get the safety and connection regularly. We now consider that to be a trauma because the truth is that trauma is not something that happens to you, like I said, but it's what happens inside of you as a result of something either that happened to you or didn't happen to you when you needed it to. So when a young child, let's say, is experiencing a painful feeling and then they are left to deal with that feeling alone, what happens inside of them is a disconnection from themselves. It's too painful to be myself right now. And not only am I in pain, there's no one here to help me with it, right? There's no one regulating or responding to these emotions. Then I don't know, I don't learn how to deal with my emotions. This then becomes a trauma, a lifelong dynamic of how I relate to myself and other people. Because our brains develop in relationships to our environment, a brain that has gone through trauma actually looks different to a brain that hasn't gone through trauma. Whenever trauma or neglect take place in the context of our caregiving relationships, the brain then develops in response to this, and there is a huge risk of this affecting how we relate to and respond to others. And therefore, later on in life, there will be difficulties with relationships, friendships, schools, employment, intimacy, family, and of course, the risk of passing down these same traumas to our children. So in 1998, there was a checklist published called Adverse Childhood Experiences. And they asked the participants how many of the 10 items on the list occurred within the first eight years of their lives. And as the answers came in, the study showed a direct correlation between the numbers of the ACEs, the Adverse Childhood Experiences, and the nine major causes of death in adult life. What does this mean? It means that the more adversity you have as a child, the greater your risk for health problems later on. And it's interesting. You can look up this list of ACs. I'm not going to go through them all. But the questions there are included are, did you ever feel unloved as a child? Did a parent ever shame you and hum- hum- humiliate you very often? Were your parents divorced? So we see there's a range of these adverse childhood experiences that have a direct impact on the later years, not only in an, in an emotional way, but also in a physical way. When we can start understanding Sorry, how these... Sorry, uh, Esther, Esther yes. please just give us one second. Uh, we need to go for a break. Hold that thought and we will give you back the platform as soon as we're back. This is the Healthy You, Wealthy You show with Adol Kosilski and Fagy Stern. And we too are in conversation with Tova Steiner and Esther Hecht. We are discussing the topic of trauma if you'd like to join the conversation, 34519 is our SMS number, 061-895-1019, our telegram number. Esther, we were discussing the definition of trauma. Is there any more there that you would like to share? So just to um, end off that thought, I think that when we start understanding how these childhood experiences impact our later years, we will then be more conscious parents and educators but also we will have a much better understanding of ourselves as adults. Many of us are walking around thinking, like, what's wrong with me? You know, why am I having issues in relationships, in regulating, um, in any areas of our lives? And we, when we can start looking at it through this lens of trauma, then we can start healing in a different way. Bobby, how would someone then differentiate between what's a trauma and a regular childhood experience? Um, I think that's so interesting, and I think that it um, relates a lot to what Esther said. Um, if we think about the first things we actually learn when we're engaging with our primary caregivers, we're learning to actually identify and express our feelings. And the way that we do this is that we actually see ourselves reflected back in the facial expressions and in the voices of our caregivers. This is 
the basic ingredient actually for optimal mental health. In that experience, we're actually learning about ourselves and we're learning about the world based on the sensations and reactions that are happening in our bodies. And that's why when Esther said it's a, what, trauma could be something that happens inside of you. And I think that that's what's so profound about this idea. It's about what's actually going on in your body and is this experience being reflected back to you? Is it affirmed back to you through your caregiver's facial expressions by them mirroring back to you? And in that, this that I find so fascinating is this idea that you actually develop self-knowledge because as a child, we're looking at the world to say, is my experience real? Is what I'm feeling actually happening for me? So we have these experiences, and, and I think we can all res- this resonates when we see children in a state that maybe a big emotional state that actually makes us feel uncomfortable. When they're fearful, when they're sad, our natural reaction is actually to pull them out of the feeling. And something that I learned recently that's been so profound for me is that a feeling is there. A feeling Once it's there, it's there. You can't take it away. What we can do is help children, support them through managing the feeling. And through that, what we do is we actually validate their sense of this is my feeling. If you think of this example, say, of um, a little girl at a birthday party and she's holding on to mom and she doesn't want to go play with all the other kids. And the natural reaction of the mom with the best positive intent to get her child to engage more with others is to say, go, go play with everybody. But actually what she's telling her inadvertently is your fear, the feeling that's inside of you, don't trust it. Don't trust Mm. what you're actually feeling. And I think that that, for me, feels like such a massive understanding of where trauma could happen in very small ways. And it's also like a disclaimer about the fact, and and I did touch on this the last time when we spoke in March about attunement and attachment, that I think we don't want perfect parents, not even to say no one is perfect. You don't want perfect parents. And when we spoke about rupture and repair, there is the most incredible TED talk of a seven-year-old girl, an Australian seven-year-old girl. If if you could look it up, it's just just that the seven-year-old girl's confidence standing in front of an audience. And she talks about this idea of rupture and repair, of seeing seeing a baby um, engaging with his father, and then the father looks at his iPad, and the baby in that moment is quite distressed about the disengagement. The father's not engaging with him. So that's point one. Look how look how distressing it is not to have your 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 facial expressions mirrored back to you. But the, then the father, in a few minutes later, he, he you know he puts down the iPad, and the baby then reenacts with the father. He reengages with him, and that is what we would call rupture and repair. That's a healthy relationship. Rupture is going to happen. You're going to come home exhausted. You're going to be stressed. You're going to have other children to deal with. That's life, and that's also valuable for the child to learn. But the 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 way we can measure a healthy relationship is how quickly can that child get back into the repair element of the relationship. So that's what we would call a normal, healthy childhood. There's rupture, there's repair, and the process happens quite easily. Trauma, and, and again what Esther said, is this disconnection of yourself. And I think when we talk about trauma, we could be talking about big things. We could be talking about, you know, molestation, And we could be talking about what I often see in the therapy room is the unseen wounds. This is like emotional abuse and neglect. Neglect is such an important point. What Esther said again, what didn't happen to you? And those leave such a powerful residue. And they also become this lens through which we view ourselves and the world. And something that I think really impacts me when I hear this idea that in this process, in our in our caregiving relationship, 
we learn about ourselves and we learn about the world and we learn about giving love and also we learn about receiving how do you experience receiving love how do you experience an intimate relationship based on what was modeled for you I'm going to give you a chance to talk. <laughs> this, this is a very, very interesting conversation, and I think that we are turning trauma upside down. It's certainly, you know, opening up and expanding um, my mind into what the definition of trauma is, and how, in fact, inside each and every single one of us, for sure, we've all we've all developed uh, traumatic experiences. Then, because it does come from the inside. This is the Healthy You, Wealthy You show with Adol Kosilski and Fagy Stern. And we're discussing the concept of trauma and the fact that trauma now has a much, much broader definition. We are talking to Esther Hecht and Toby Steiner about the topic. Esther, why do you think people are so resistant to this concept of trauma? So, I, I mean, I think there could be a few reasons, and I'm pretty much um, confronted with this res- resistance on a day-to-day basis. Um, I think, number one, especially in our community, some of the older generation, especially in post-Holocaust, post-war years, when we say the word trauma, they think of war. And it's hard for them to now think, okay, we need to expand this definition now to include some emotional traumas. I also think that this idea of trauma is hard because, It's not a comfortable conversation, right? Many of us avoid these vulnerable, uncomfortable conversations, and we really have to ask ourselves, why don't I want to sit with that feeling, right? What am I scared that I might find out about myself if I open up to have this conversation? In my experience, though, the concept of trauma is being met with the biggest resistance when I hear people say to me, oh, so everything can be blamed on trauma these days, right? Any issues you have as an adult, oh, just blame your trauma. Blame your parents. Blame the house you grew up in. Blame, blame, blame trauma. It's all trauma's fault. People are seeing trauma as a cop-out. But this is not the case. The way that I look at trauma is absolutely not in the way of blaming. We believe that our parents do the best with the skills that they had. And for many, they were a result of their own childhoods. We do our best until we know better. I think what's important to remember that our past is not meant to be an excuse, but rather an explanation. This is a way more compassionate way of relating to ourselves and to others. Instead of going through life saying, what's wrong with me or what's wrong with them or him or her, we switch this to say, what happened to you? What happened to me or what didn't happen to me when I needed it to? We often hear the saying, right, children are resilient. I think I heard this about a gazillion times this past year. Children are resilient. Children are resilient. But guess what? Children are not resilient. Children are malleable meaning their brains will adapt to any situation. Resilient children are not born, they're made. And how do we become resilient? Through the patterns of stress that we experience and how that stress was dealt with through the nurturing we received and the teaching the skills that we needed to cope with those stressful situations in those early years of life. So I think why this concept is so scary for, and especially for many parents, because we think, oh, if I start thinking like this, that everything I do impacts my child's brain, I won't be able to breathe. Every decision as a parent will be terrifying. Oh my God, am I responding the right way? Will this be traumatizing? How's this going to impact them? And many parents would rather not live with this awareness. But the problem is if we don't learn about this, if we don't have these conversations, we are missing out on a huge understanding of the brain development and how we can be helpful in supporting its growth in the, in the healthiest way. So if we, and I'm, and it's normal to be, to have resistance to this topic. I, I get it. But if we avoid the conversation, we avoid the growth that can happen, right? What's that famous quote? 
knowing and naming the illness is half the recovery. If we can name these things, then they don't define us. Then we get to decide how to define it, how to approach these challenges in our lives. These conversations that we're having, and thank you for hosting us and having these conversations, are so important because even if one person can name their challenge or be conscious of how they want to change their parenting, we're on our way to a different world. But it's not only about parenting. It's just even just about yourself, period, and the relationships that you have with people. Like you've got Absolutely. to start with yourself. Exactly, Absolutely. exactly. Just in, in my line of work, where I find the most resistance is with the parents, right? I don't want to have that conversation because my parent is, if it's stressful now, it's going to become way more stressful. And I, through the conversations, I understand that this is actually not the case at all. Tommy, when a person has gone through a trauma, what coping mechanisms might they adapt to deal with those traumas? Um, and how does that impact their lives later on? And how might you recognize this as an adult? Following on what Adel's saying, and I think, you know, Esther, definitely it starts in childhood, and that's, and that's, you're saying that angle also. And I think I'm like wary to bring a war example because I think we're trying to move away. But I would just like to, bring this example and then I'll bring it back into what we're defining trauma as on a, on a day-to-day, maybe more in our reality. But something that I found so moving and really made me understand this idea of what coping mechanisms are, um, they did a study of um, war veterans, Vietnam war veterans, and they showed them a very violently graphic movie. And while they were showing them this movie, they kept their hands in a bucket of freezing cold water and then they showed them a very innocuous movie and they kept their hands in cold water and they measured how long they were able to keep their hands in cold water. While they were watching the very violently graphic movie, they were able to keep their hands in the water for much longer. When they measured what the amount of anesthesia that their body had created, it was eight milligrams of morphine, the equivalent to eight milligrams of morphine that someone would get when they come into an emergency room for crushing chest pain. So what this shows is that the body literally created a way to numb graphic images that they had experienced in Vietnam. So now to move away from the idea we're trying to move away from trauma as only being war, but we see coping mechanisms in adults. Like if I see someone in, 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 in a therapy space we can often see a correlation between what they developed as a child. And I will say to, to my patients, and I really, really, it, it's, it's such an incredible thing to see what people would have created as a child. Look at this coping mechanism you created for yourself. This helped you survive. This helped you get through your childhood. This was ingenious. Look how creative. You had this very abusive home. You had a very volatile father. And the way you managed that was to throw yourself into your schoolwork. That's incredible. It was your coping mechanism, except now you've landed up in therapy and you're here on the couch because that thing that was helping you as a child has now become maladaptive. Your body created a way to manage the trauma, to manage the pain. And I think the first part, like what Esther said about, you know, recognizing the illness, this is the first part. This is the first part of saying, okay, I'm drawing this parallel line between this part of my life that's now not working for me and where it comes from. And I think that just that curiosity and just that kindness in understanding that my life's not working, this is my, these, I'm coming here because I have relationship issues, or I'm a workaholic, but look where you started that. You started that in childhood because you were learning to cope with something.
And I think that this, this becomes your, like almost your map, your map of how to navigate the world. And it was, it was so clever. It was so ingenious, except now that map is no longer working. So let's trace where that map started, where it's got you now and how we can find other healthy adult coping mechanisms to get you into the place where you need to be. Toba, can I just ask you a question on that though? Yes. Is it just cognitive, cognitive reflection, meaning, mm-hmm. uh, somebody sees in their life, listen, I can see now the why, why I behave the way I behave because I learned mm-hmm. to, you know, I, I had, I, I adapted to my situation. I want to right. change it now. You yeah. know, we talk about neural pathways. Like how do, yes. it's, it's hard to change it because I think that's the resistance. Like I've just done it for so long. How can I possibly change the way my brain thinks when I'm again, you know, affected by the situation now. Absolutely. I love that because um, in Laurie Gottlieb's book, maybe you should talk to someone, she says um, insight is the booby prize of therapy. And I often say to people, see, you should have chosen the money. You should, shouldn't have taken the box because <laughs> actually it's the booby prize. Now you know. Now you know. So now what? And and I think that's also what, um, and forgive me for, for punting therapy, it is my model, but this, this, the work of therapy actually happens in between sessions. You get the insight in, in that hour of therapy once a week. Then you go out into the world and say, I'm recognizing my pattern. How do I change it? Okay, I managed this once in my seven-day week. Let me come back to therapy. Okay, this is what I managed to do. How else could we work through it? So I think exactly what you're saying is that that's the starting point. If you stop there, it's the booby prize. If you're able to then carry on, and find ways to actually bring it into your life, into your relationship. And that's what I always say in therapy. I really think it's just consciousness raising. It's creating a consciousness for this is why I'm doing something. And now I'm going to be more conscious when this triggers me from someone. Oh, I know why. I know that that's what it's bringing up for me. So is repetitive, is repetitive, like conscious thinking, every time I'm faced with it that I do it differently now, will that eventually then become my, 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 my modus operandi? Like I'll be able to, that's how I'll be able to change myself. I think so. I think that it's really, really hard. I think that if you, if, if I think about um, doing a conscious discipline course with Esther and, and learning how to consciously parent, I can't tell you that I manage most of the time or all of the time, but I know when I am not responding. Like I can give you an example. I came home the other day, I'd taken my kids out, and my seven-year-old asked me if I bought him the pair of tackies he had been asking me to get. And I just was like, when was I supposed to get you tackies? I went to work, and then I took you guys out. And after that, I was like, okay, um, who was that about? That was clearly about your sense of not actually being a good enough mother. And in that moment, I was able to go back to him and say to him, you know, I was feeling like I wasn't giving you all the things you want to need. And I'm really sorry. And I think that that's the consciousness. I didn't just go, well, he's like, what does this child want from me? How can I be all those things? And I think that the, the consciousness is the point that maybe I didn't even do it in the moment. I didn't do it in the moment. But that I was able to know where it came from and then to be able to go back to him afterwards and say, this was about me and my reaction to you, and I'm sorry. Okay, so there's been a lot of talk in the world of trauma about addiction. Can you touch on this connection? Absolutely. I think this is such an important discussion, and um, it's actually a very long and nuanced discussion. We probably don't have time for it all today. 
Um, and as a disclaimer, when it comes to addiction, because it is a sensitive topic, um, I'm not an addiction therapist. Um, I read a lot. I research a lot. Um, and I think that it's such an important thing to discuss when we're discussing trauma, because you cannot understand addiction without understanding trauma. Um, and this is a correlation that not many people know about. We often look at addiction as a problem. But the truth is that addiction is actually a solution to a problem. I want you to listen to that again. We, we often look at addiction as a problem, but really addiction is a solution to a problem. What is this problem? In the life of any person who is addicted, there is trauma. That's not to say that every person who experienced trauma in their life will turn into an addict, but every single addict has a history of trauma. And that's from all the types of trauma we spoke about, right? The, the overt war, uh, um, abuse, whatever it is, and or the little few traumas that we, as we talk about, the neglect, right? So every addict has a history of trauma. Addiction is a normal response to trauma. Why? Because people want to escape their pain, their suffering. I spoke earlier about how trauma is a disconnection from self. It's too painful to be myself. So in order for us to help people with addiction, we need to move away from the judgment, from believing they're making a choice to ruin their life or oh, it's in their genes. They, you know, they got it from their dad who was a, who was a, a drinker or a druggie. We need to move away from these two beliefs that addiction is a choice or it's an inherited disease. And we really need to ask ourselves, what is the addiction offering? What is the addiction offering to this person? And then see how we can offer that to them in healthier ways. Um, there's this book that just came out. I don't know if any of the, the listeners have read it. I highly recommend it. It's called What Happened to You? It's Oprah and Bruce Perry um, wrote this book together. And I love this concept in the book in they explain how in Western psychiatry, we are chasing symptoms, not healing people. In order to heal addiction, we need to heal the trauma. And I think, like I said, this is this is just the start of such an important conversation. And when I initially spoke to Fagi, I said, let's do a, a, a talk on addiction. But we can't have that talk yet until we understand what trauma is. And just with this little in, insight, I hope that we can get some wheels turning about how we can start shifting our views on addiction and knowing, again, how important that safety and connection is in the early years and how they impact our later lives. And I know in our previous discussion that we had, it's never too late, right? Like you, you mentioned neuroplasticity. There's always hope in rewiring the brain, in offering healthier solution. It's not like, oh, that person's a druggie. He's far gone. He's, he's never going to be okay. Absolutely not. When we can start healing the trauma, the addiction can literally fall away. That's While incredible. we're talking about addiction, just uh, I, I recently read a book called The God of My Understanding. I don't know if you've read it by Shay yes. Tal. And he talks about addiction. Then he went and said it's actually it's a spiritual malady. Again, I think he kind of like is concurrent with what you're saying. It's got nothing to do with, I mean, you see the physical ramifications. But essentially it goes down to people not having self-esteem. I think I'm like making it very simple. But that's really... Where does well, it, where does the self-esteem come from? From your childhood? Well, that's exactly what we said, that trauma is a disconnection from self. That means a lack of self-knowledge, self-esteem, right? So an addiction would then fill that, like numb that pain of, we all want to have self-esteem. We all feel empowered by self-knowledge. When we don't have that, we struggle. It's painful for us. So we numb that with addiction. And I think that we have to start asking the question, you know, shifting from saying, 
why the addiction to saying why the pain. And when we can start approaching our whole world like this, we're going to see everything through a different lens. We're going to parent differently. Um, you know, now that the, the buzzwords are having trauma-informed care, trauma-informed schools, trauma-informed workplaces, because like I said before, when we can make the shift from what's wrong with you to what happened to you, we are responding way more compassionately and helpful to people who are struggling with addictions or just struggling with everyday challenges and relationships. I think though the resistance is the word trauma. Like every time I yes. hear the word yes. trauma, yes. I feel traumatized. Yes. So, so I think that I think this is true and we, I've actually we've been discussing that this a lot, Toby and I like what what other word can we use instead of trauma? And if, you know, maybe we should do a survey like Send in your top three words that we can use instead of trauma. But but why I'm also resistant not to use the word trauma is because part of how we understand trauma is by understanding that it literally impacts you like the other traumas that we've understood. So if we if we forget that, we might forget the impact and the severity of this neglect and the, the lack of self-regulation and healthy safety and connection. So we want to move away from it. And I know that the word is so triggering. But it's almost like we have to use it until we find the next best word. I would even say, like, let's sit in the word trauma. Let, the point of trauma is the like this what Esther was saying, this idea of healing, that we're not looking to take something away. The point is how can you sit in the pain? The point of addiction, like Esther just spoke about, and, and and it is a coping mechanism, was a way to not sit in the pain. So Let's be really comfortable that trauma makes us uncomfortable because I think the point is that we, we, we find a way and, and addiction, we can, you know, we understand addiction as substance abuse. But addiction is, is being a workaholic. Addiction is, is being a shopaholic. Addiction is, you know, filling up your, I just heard on the radio today, someone says she fills, she's an online shopper, but she just fills the cart. She doesn't actually buy anything. Like that's her addiction. <laughs> but I think that that's what we're, we're trying to, I think if you think of like a heart rate monitor, and you think of the, the, the line going up, that's that like hyper arousal. And then the line going down is the hypo arousal. And the middle part is your window of tolerance. So if you grew up in an environment, say, where there was emotional overwhelm, a very volatile parent, you're in that like top part, that's hypo arousal. And the lower part is if you were ashamed, if you were humiliated, if you were shut down. We're trying to make that window of tolerance, that middle part bigger. And the way that people found a coping mechanism through an addiction would be that um, the, the, their drug of choice helped them in their window of tolerance. Even if it's someone who's who was cutting, cutting um, stimulates adrenaline and endorphins. Um, someone who restricts food also puts their, their body into a state of, where, where different hormones are, are pulsing through their body. So, I, And I love that Esther used this word compassion because I think... We, we can be so much more understanding about others and ourselves when we see we're just trying to extend that window of tolerance. We're trying to create a safe space for ourselves and we used a coping mechanism. Maybe, <clears throat> sorry, maybe it was an addiction. Tov. We're speaking about trauma with two <clears throat> special ladies, Tova Stein and Esther Hecht. We'd love to get your feedback, SMS 34519 or the telegram number 061-895-1019. This is Chai FM 101.9. This is the Healthy You, Wealthy You show with Adol Kosilski and Fagy Stern.
We're having an incredible conversation. In fact, an SMS has just come through that says, wow, what an unbelievable discussion. The input and explanations have been unbelievable and very eye-opening concepts I have never heard. And indeed, it is really, really interesting what it is that, uh, you know, is being found about trauma. I think also it's so interesting we talk about blame, and I know I'm going on a bit of a tangent, but when, when it comes to blame, I feel like Esther, I don't know if you can kind of add to this as well. Do we, do, do we blame because we don't know how to deal with it? And then also, if you can add, if someone's listening and realizing they might um, have the experience of trauma, what are things that they can do to heal? So I'll, um, I'll take that first part of the question. I'll let Toby um, answer the second part. So I think, yes, we definitely blame because maybe it's, if, if I have to take ownership over it, then I have to say, okay, where does the healing begin? And just um, in tying what Toby said before that, this scary word of trauma is part of the problem that we're too scared to sit in our pain. And Tov, I thought those points were brilliant. Um, I actually shared a, a quote with Tovi the other day, and it said that all of Western medicine is built on getting rid of pain, which is not the same as healing. Healing is actually the, cap- the capacity to hold pain. And I think this is part of the discussion that we're having here, right? That in order to heal from the trauma, in order to move away from the blaming and taking ownership, we actually need to sit in that pain. That pain will lead us to our growth. And this is the pain we're avoiding through all the different kinds of addiction. So in order to truly heal, we have to be able to hold that pain. And I know that we want to, you know, end off on a positive note. And I think what you were asking, Toby, is, okay, so now now I'm an adult, right? And I, I have experienced trauma. Um, and I'm realizing, oh, you know, that issue maybe can be tied to something that happened to me in my childhood or didn't happen to me. What are some things that we can now do? Because there's always hope and healing can always take place. But I'll give over to Tavi to answer. Um, I'd also just like to have a disclaimer that S and I don't only send each other trauma quotes. We also just send like nonsense <laughs> memes. And, like, <laughs> That's not true. <laughs> we stay in the pain. We stay in the pain. Um this feels like a bit of an ad, an ad break also, because I think that I am um, obviously going to talk about the power of therapy, um, but I will add in some other, some other ideas as well. I think therapy has a bit of a bad rap. I think sometimes because you may, it takes a lot, it takes a lot of courage to get to therapy and sit on the couch and often the person sitting across for you, from you for a whole host of reasons may not be the right person. And then I think it's the same idea of not connecting to trauma is kind of saying, you see, I tried it. It didn't work. I'm not <laughs> supposed to be in therapy. So I would often say as, as hard as that is, you poured out your heart for two or three sessions. And I've had this discussion with Esther that like, you know, that, that person isn't right for you. It doesn't mean therapy isn't right for you. And the reason why I feel so powerfully about therapy is because Something that happens within the therapeutic relationship, it's, the experience is so profound. I will often have someone who will arrive and sit on the couch and just start to cry and cry and cry and cry and say, I don't know where this is coming from. And, and they, they, there's an energy that happens within a therapeutic encounter where when you talk about your trauma, when you talk about something old and you engage with a therapist, what happens is that this memory is now this old painful memory is paired with a positive experience of being with someone who sees you and validates you 
And maybe this is actually the first time in your life you've had this experience where someone's really able to give you back your feeling in bite-sized pieces. That's the the experience of the mother and child. With the mother, the child comes with this big overwhelming experience and the mother's able to help them process it into bite-sized pieces. And I think no matter how belatedly this happens for you, it may be the first time where you learn to really trust, you learn to really have this attunement experience. And and when Esther spoke about this malleable brain, you, you create new brain cells and new connections and you can create new habits and new responses to people. Um, I think that, like we said before, that insight being the booby prize, but also the relationship is is extremely, extremely powerful. And when I, in the beginning, we were talking about your childhood and your, your parents, you know, reflecting this back to you, your experience back to you. One of the key things is that you learn self-knowledge. You learn to, um, Dr. Becky talks about this. And now my kids are using it against me because we say, I'm in my body and I know how I feel. So when my, my kids are in short sleeves and mine is three and they say, I'm in my body, I know how I feel. <laughs> well, what can I do? Um, that, that, doesn't, that doesn't work for a Jewish mother, hey? <laughs> what can I do? I've empowered them with the tools that are using it against me. But I think that this is this self-knowledge experience that happens in therapy where you're actually able to learn about yourself within a very connected, attuned relationship. And what I think is very powerful, especially for trauma, is to include some of these other modalities that that I'll mention now. For some people, it's easier to first try the other modalities. It's easier to first try the other things. And then I personally think that if you are in therapy and you have trauma and you try these other modalities alongside and use the therapeutic process to also process what comes up for you in them. It's it's so powerful. It's so, so powerful. So some of the things within a therapeutic place, um, people use like guided, image, guided imagery, EMDR, uh, mindfulness meditation, and then there's ways to move the body. The power of yoga, work, kahuna, massage, tai chi, all of these are being... Uh, researched in America at the moment in like it's it's off the chart and they're also trying to research if this is taking longer but theater work all these other kind of like this body soul mind connection um Fagy you are going to be so happy what I'm about to say next and you could probably tell me much <laughs> more you could say much much more but this idea of the gut and the fact that the, the the bacteria in our gut impacts our brain and the levels of serotonin that um, – sorry, am I breaking up a bit? Um, that it, it's like a loop. So when we're feeling stressed, this impacts our gut. And when the things we're putting in our gut um, are not healthy foods, then this, this loop happens then again into our brain. So I'm just reading up about this. I really don't know a lot about it at all, but – it was just this idea that if we can create new pathways in our brain and if we're being really careful about working on our mind state, we should be really careful about the kind of foods we're putting into our bodies. Well, you say that, Tom, and it's so interesting. That... Are we going to an ad break? <laughs> so interesting, Tom, that you say that. And, yes, it is my, my uh, interest, <laughs> the gut. Um, but someone needed a lot of help and they went to this therapist and the therapist actually said to them that I cannot help you until you get your gut right. Hmm. 
So okay. I, I think I think I think this 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 conversation comes full circle in that to be a healthy person you have to be healthy physically, spiritually, mm-hmm. emotionally, mentally, and 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 it's not just one thing that is going to fix it up. I mean, if you're trying to rewire your brain and try to look at things differently. It's not going to help if you're a couch potato and you have no energy and you've got brain fog and you're, and you're not functioning. So Absolutely. that is very interesting. This is, this is 101.9. This is the Healthy You, Wealthy You show with Adol Kosilski and Fagy Stern. I always get so upset because time flies while you're having fun and having really, really an engaging conversation um, with you, um, Esther and uh, Tova. Just before we go, I don't know who wants to answer this, but maybe in a minute, can you suggest some books that uh, uh, people can, can, can read to recommend and then we'll ask you how we can get hold of you. So I think um, top books that I would definitely recommend to understand trauma and the mind-body um, you know, connection um, definitely the body keeps the score best of the Kolk in the realm of mm-hmm. hungry ghosts. And when the body says no, Gabor Mate, what happened to you? The one I mentioned in the talk, Oprah and Bruce Perry. Um, and the one Tobi mentioned, maybe you should talk to someone by Laurie Gottlieb. Tov, I, I know you have your top picks, so you can share those as well. <laughs> so definitely the body keeps the score. And there's another book out, um, by Donna Jackson, Akazawa called Childhood Disrupted. Um, a book that I'm reading. That um, it's it's not sci- scientifically it, it doesn't have its origins in in science, but it's untamed by Glenn and Doyle. And I think um, some of her ideas about being in feelings and processing our experiences it's super light, but super deep. Um, there are so many um, set boundaries, find peace. Um, the book you wish your parents had read. And, um, yeah, I think that's all for now. And I wanted to right. say that on Instagram, there's also like, if you just want bite size information, mm. just you literally search the word trauma and you'll see all of these different, you know, it might be too trauma. traumatic. <laughs> <laughs> um, and I also, you can do it. Um, at Psych Central, um, I'm at Psych Central Ravonia. Um, the phone number there is 0662591627 or just Psych Central. Um, you can book online as well. Excellent. Esther? Like I said on Instagram, the holistic educationist or the holistic educationist at gmail.com. And if you want to be added to my trauma quotes that I send Tovi daily, <laughs> <laughs> that will have to be a special request. Great. Ladies, this has been, again, an incredible, incredible show, and we thank you for your time. We thank you for your expertise. We thank you for your insight. I thank you, Fagy, for always putting it together, and uh, we hope that you, too, enjoyed the show. We'll be back next week, same time, same place. Have a great week. Thank Thank you.